We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea. Order. Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, uh, we're delighted to be joined by Dominique Samuels, who is the president of the Orthodox Conservatives Group. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's great to have you on. Um, So the first question that I would uh, like to ask is, uh, could you explain to our listeners what the purpose of the Orthodox Conservatives Group is? Well, the purpose of the Orthodox Conservatives Group is to promote the values of the family, tradition and community that we believe has become lost in the political discourse uh, with particular regard to the Conservative Party. We believe that a lot of the political narrative has been dominated by the kind of dogmatic, a kind of dogmatic approach to free market capitalism with little regard for the kind of human consequences of some conservative policies and um, taking into consideration the recent general election that we had. Um, some of the constituencies that we won were obviously traditionally very labour. And the reason why they did that was because they found themselves increasingly culturally at odds with the current Labour Party. So we believe that there's a real opportunity here to kind of connect with these new voters that we have culturally that the Conservative Party really hasn't ever before. Now, um, this um, Orthodox Conservative group, see, it's, sort of, it's a lot of young people involved. Do you think that social conservative values are sort of coming back in a way or do you think that that, or is it just like this you're you're, you know outliers i guess i mean in a lot of ways we are outliers but there are a lot uh, of young people that do subscribe to socially conservative beliefs as we've seen with the kind of really impressive growth of our page and just in in our our kind of popularity in such a short space of time. Uh, We are outliers as seen with a lot of the kind of controversy that we've had surrounding the purpose of our group. But I do think in the general public, there is slowly starting to, you know, become a return to socially and culturally conservative values. Whether or not that is present amongst a majority of young people, I think the answer would probably be no. But, you know, if you actually look at how many people, how many young people support the Conservatives, for starters, that's obviously very low as well. Um, Why do you think that there has been this uh, perhaps growth in more socially conservative values? Do you think that this is a reaction to any particular phenomenon or is this a... a Uh, something that has happened not because of any particular phenomenon, but has just uh, occurred because of people's upbringing. What what do you think is the root cause of it? Well, I think you can, again, you can use the general election as an example. If you look at, you know, the main reasons why working class people in places like Blackpool South voted for Boris Johnson instead of Jeremy Corbyn, one of the main things was Brexit. And why did people want to Brexit? They wanted to Brexit for a return to our national sovereignty, which was lost when we were members of the European Union. And they wanted the government to be really honest 
and tackle immigration. And those values are traditionally culturally and socially quite conservative. And Brexit has really kind of exposed that divide that has just been growing and growing and growing as we've been members of the European Union. And because it's been ignored for so long, that's why people's voices have gotten louder. That is why we Brexited. And that's why we now have a conservative majority government. Um you mentioned sort of the reason why sort of Brexit happened, linking it to social conservatism. Yeah. Um, what's your view on the school of thought that you sort of see on more Danahan and sort of libertarian side that Brexit was about free trade and, you know, lib- liberalisation? I think there is an argument for that, but I think that argument was mostly present amongst the intellectuals and the elected politicians. Obviously, I'm a big supporter of free trade and I think that Brexit does present many, many, many opportunities in free trade with the rest of the world and I think that's a great thing but it wasn't just about that you you know, you don't go to the doorsteps realistically and say well we want to leave the European Union just because we want to trade because if you look at the actual issues that people were focusing on, it was about sovereignty being able to make our own laws and it was about immigration. I think um, there was a Lord Ashcroft poll, which I refer to regularly. The first reason for leaving the European Union was sovereignty, as I've said, and the second, immigration. Um, Now, you mentioned Brexit uh, quite a few times. And of course, um, Brexit is something that, you know, is coming towards perhaps an end. uh, Yes. uh, Not not immediately, but uh, in the in the near future. How yes. much do you, how much of an impact do you think that Brexit going forward is going to continue to have on the day-to-day lives of people in the UK? Well, obviously we're going through negotiations right now and they will take a good few years, but after all of that is done, I think it's still going to impact the conversation and impact people's lives because well, the focus is now on politicians to deliver the things that they said they couldn't do whilst we were members of the European Union. So there is a lot lot more responsibility on our elected politicians now to actually govern the country instead of being dictated by bureaucrats from Brussels. So it will impact the political conversation in that way. And also, if you look at, for example, uh, the new immigration reforms proposed by the Home Office, we will obviously see uh, the impact of that post-leaving the European Union. You mentioned the Home Office. Now, yeah. the big story in the news at the moment is Priti Patel and the allegations yes. <laughs> of bullying. What's yes. your take on this? Do you think that she, this is something that's true or likely to be true, or do you think that it's something that's been overblown? I think it's been overblown. I don't really feel like it's likely to be true. I think the reality is she's probably a bit bossy, probably a bit of an annoying boss, but a bully... I really don't think so. And the fact of the matter is, it's, you know, the worst kept secret in politics that 
civil servants do run the country and departmental ministers are expected just to nod along and let them do what they want to do. And we have a new government that has a clear agenda that the people have set out for them. And she's gone into the Home Office and she's delivered those promises on every front. And suspiciously, she now has this concerted media campaign against her, calling her a bully. Now, I think a lot of people can agree that the end goal for that is for her, for her to be removed from office. And I think that's what this is really about. I don't think it's really about bullying. I think it's the fact that they don't like Priti Patel and they want her out. Um, now, you mentioned uh, civil servants. And of course, um, another person who is involved in the government, who has perhaps not the highest opinion of civil servants, is Dominic Cummings. And he... Um, recently wrote a, a job advertisement uh, attempting to get weirdos and misfits involved in the government. What do you think of that as a tactic? Do you think that that would be effective, useful for the agenda going forward? Well, this is interesting because I was very vocal about the whole Andrew Sabisky fiasco. And I think it backfired because I don't think that they really appropriately looked into these misfits and weirdos that they were calling out for in this case. I think perhaps what Dominic Cummings was trying to get at was that he didn't want traditional politicians and uh, career people to be appointed by the government. He wanted people with actual knowledge and actual experience, which I can appreciate. But with particular regard to the Andrew Sabisky fiasco, I don't really think that ended well. So I think that there needs to be a lot more caution when it comes to that. So, yeah, that's my take on it. Um, now, you could say that there's been a movement sort of rightwards in the global politics. We've seen the election of Trump in 2016, and obviously he's got his re-election coming up. We've yes. just come off the back of Super Tuesday. Joe Biden's had a quite a big comeback and won a lot of states. Bloomberg has just dropped out after spending half a billion of his money to win American Samoa. Um, <laughs> so, um, what are your thoughts on the American presidential race? Do you think Trump's likely to get re-elected, and would that be something you'd like to see? Well, first of all, it is something I'd like to see because I am a Trump supporter. But with regards to Joe Biden, I'm actually really surprised because I thought that Bernie Sanders had it in the bag. Um, and then all of a sudden, Joe, Joe has just risen to the top, which is really quite interesting. I think that when it comes to a general election, I was more, I was more confident with it being Trump versus Sanders. But Biden has a lot of support because he was obviously Obama's vice president. He's seen as more capable. He's seen as more balanced, more moderate, and he's obviously more popular amongst minority voters. So I think that Trump will have a problem on his hands and he will need to make a good argument about the tangibles he's proposed to various people across the country. But I think he will win. I'm just not sure what it will look like in terms of electoral college votes. I do think if it's against Biden, he might lose some. Um, you mentioned uh, Senator Sanders there. I just wondered what your thoughts were on the other remaining contenders. I mean, they aren't likely to get the nomination, but it's still interesting uh, to talk about the possibility uh, if they might. I mean, what do you think of um, Elizabeth Warren? What do you think of Tulsi Gabbard? 
I think Tulsi was really, really interesting because she presented herself as a really anti-establishment candidate. And as we've seen, that's been largely unsuccessful. I think she had a lot of grassroots support, uh, particularly from other conservatives, actually, which was really interesting. And also um, her campaign against Hillary and Hillary's corruption was really interesting to see. But the fact of the matter is people like Biden and people like Hillary have a stranglehold over the Democratic Party. So there was no way that she was going to be successful. And obviously, she's not going to get the nomination. With Elizabeth Warren, I just think that she's, I think she's crazy, if I'm being honest. Some of the things that she comes out with, in particular with regards to her supposed Native American heritage, is really quite laughable. And her, as a candidate, she's on the far left of the spectrum in the Democratic Party. And she's obviously not going to get the nomination. I think the DNC establishment knows what they need to do to beat Trump now. And I think they do know that they need Biden to do that. So um, moving back to the UK um, and back sort of conservative party politics. um, Yeah. Do you think that um, Boris Johnson is a good ally for social conservatism? Uh, I think Boris Johnson is widely known as a liberal, but this recent election, he seems to have spoken to a lot of people that wouldn't normally see themselves as conservative. He's appeared as a friend to the average working man. And if you look at a lot of the reaction of liberal conservatives or liberal Tories to Boris Johnson, it's been one of hysteria. So this is a really interesting question because On the one hand, I know that Boris Johnson is very liberal on a lot of issues, for example, uh, refugees, um, et cetera, et cetera. Then on the other hand, he's spoken to a part of the country that no other prime minister really in recent history has been able to. So on the whole, yes, I would say that he is an ally because he has exceptional people in his cabinet like Jacob Rees-Mogg, like Priti Patel, like Dominic Raab. So I think he he is a friend in that sense, yeah. Um, now you mentioned that uh, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson is perhaps more socially liberal uh, as a conservative. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. think that there is potential for a future leader of the Conservative Party to be more socially conservative? And if so, is there any MP that you think could fit that bill? I think definitely there is room for that. Um, Just off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone that I could see that would be able to do it now, in all honesty. I used to want Jacob Rees-Mogg to be uh, PM, as he presents himself as a very kind of socially conservative character. He's very popular amongst others that identify as such, but um, I think he's probably better as a backbencher or in his current role. Um, I think Priti Patel has potential to present herself as one, but I think she does, on the whole, she isn't that socially conservative. She's more socially conservative on things like law and order. So off the top of my head, I have to say no. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously you have the new intake. I think um, Danny Kruger is one that sort of stuck out to me as sort of being on the sort of more socially conservative wing. 
of the party. But um, yeah, yeah. So um, mo- moving on, sort of um, the Labour Party, because obviously they've got a leadership election as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> do you, What's your views on this? Do you think that any of them are a threat to the Conservatives and could win an election? No, if I'm being quite frank, not really at all. You've got Keir Starmer, who is the favourite to win. He is uh, more moderate than Jeremy Corbyn, I'll I'll give him that. But then, on the other hand, he's talking about restoring freedom of movement. That's not what people voted for, so why are you talking about that? You've got Rebecca Long-Bailey, who said that she would have Jeremy Corbyn in her shadow cabinet, the same man who got them the worst results since 1935. I mean, it's a bit of a question mark. And then you've got Lisa Nandy, who is coming out and saying that she'd support a male rapist who now identifies as a female being allowed into a women's prison. These people, uh, in my opinion, are just so out of touch. And even this election wasn't enough to make them realise, hey, maybe we need to change the conversation. I, I, th- I just think they're all laughable, to be fair. So, no, I don't. Um, this might be a, a bit of a pointless question, but what do you think of the uh, candidate standing to be deputy leader of the Labour Party? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I mean, Don, Don Butler, is that who we're referring to? Well, I mean, any of the candidates. Oh, <laughs> um, Richard Burgeon. <laughs> oh my God. Um, they're, they're really, really, really interesting. I think that Richard Burgeon's kind of approach has been one that's encouraged a lot of mocking. I just, I think he's funny. And I think that if that did happen for him, good for him. Don Butler is a bit of a joke. <laughs> no, um, I- Another party that sort of rose up sort of um, last year um, was the Brexit party. And they sort of yes. <laughs> kind of quickly went down again. But I believe you were you on one of their leaflets. I was in their campaign video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the um, yeah, obviously the Brexit party has a big surge of support in the, general, yeah. in the sort of the European elections and then general election. sort of people came behind the Conservatives. But do you think there is any future for Farage, Brexit party, anything uh, like a more a more populist party to the right of the Conservatives, or do you think that now the Conservatives have sort of moved that more that way that there isn't any space there in the political compass in the UK? I think this is such an interesting question. If Farage did make a resurgence, which I think he is going to, but I think he's probably waiting for the right time, or if Boris fails us, I think there would definitely be a place. Um, because there, there always has been a place for Nigel Farage's brand of politics on the right. It's just that the way our system works, which, you know, first past the post, I think it has its flaws, but overall it works because of that system it means that we have to entrust the conservative party to kind of deliver what we want them to deliver i think that i think nigel farage and his brand of politics works best as kind as a kind of pressure pressure kind of group and i think that works very effectively as an an electoral political force uh, probably not as much um speaking of farage and um, of course Brexit has been one of perhaps his uh, greatest achievements. Um, what do you think is the future for the European Union? 
Well, the future for the European Union, I think there is a lot of uncertainty around that topic, particularly as recently we've seen in the news, they've had some disputes over certain countries paying more money in and getting little in return. I think that Britain leaving the European Union has begun a conversation amongst many. Whether or not they'll be brave enough to leave is another question. But I certainly think it's made countries like uh, Italy and like Poland a lot more confident in their ability to say no to the European Union. In 50 years' time, I do doubt that the European Union will exist. So you mentioned Poland. Um, it's quite interesting in terms of obviously you Orthodox Conservatives more socially conservative. Do you think yeah. that countries like Poland and Hungary have lessons that we can learn from in this aspect? In terms of social conservatism and sort of the way the, the, the government sort of has a role in sort of pushing that agenda? Um I've probably not, because I think that their politics is unique to the culture of that country, if you know what I mean. So in this country, there's a, a specific way in which we approach politics and there's a specific way that conservatism works in this country. With things like Poland's approach to immigration, for example, that more aggressive approach obviously works for them. So in terms of if we can learn anything from them, I'd have to probably say no. Um, now, mentioned Poland and, of course, the um, Law and Order Party is the uh, governing party in Poland. Yeah. And some people in the United Kingdom might think of them as a party, as perhaps a bit bigoted. How do you ensure that the separation or the difference between uh, social conservatism that you represent and views that may be seen as bigoted by people in the UK is quite clearly drawn, is defined. How do you ensure that? I mean, it depends on what kind of bigotry you're referring to. So, like, could you give me an example? Well, I mean, uh, in general, in the way that um, some of the law and order party supporters have uh, reacted towards minorities in Poland. Okay. Um, I think that's an interesting question, but I don't think that social conservatism should be characterised as inherently bigoted, which is a lot of what some people do. I think there's a difference between being, you know, nationalist, national conservative, etc., etc., and being a social conservative who believes in, you know, philosophically conservative values. I've always said that those kinds of things have nothing to do with race. For people to bring bigoted views against minorities into that kind of politics, I think that's more ref reflective of their misunderstanding of social conservatism rather than social conservatism itself. So we'll go to more, so going back on that sort of thing about sort of social conservatism and people's view of it. Are you s surprised by the reaction that your group got with other young conservatives or was it something you were kind of expecting? Well, that's funny you say that because some people in the group were like, well, we're, we are going to get this response. We're going to be called this, that, this, that. We just have to be able to deal with it. And I was thinking, like, what would the problem be? Because what we're advocating for, they're not inherently bad things. Like, what is wrong with 
supporting the family unit? What is wrong with supporting community? What is wrong with supporting tradition? I thought these were things that are, you know, foundational within the Conservative Party. So it was really confusing to me. But the reaction that we did get from other young kind of liberal conservatives was really surprising to me. I was really surprised by the vitriol that we received, kind of the obsessive abuse, um, accusations of racism and homophobia, despite the fact that its president is a mixed race woman. It was really, uh, really like surprising. But I guess that's what happens when, you know, social conservatism is kind of associated with those kinds of things. And that kind of narrative has been controlled by the left. And I think we've kind of let that narrative be controlled by the left. And that's why it's permeated uh, the Conservative Party also, which is disappointing. Do you think that part of the reaction um, towards the group was because, the, as you say, you about um, promoting uh, particular ideas, is that yeah. people interpreted that as you being, you know, being attacking or being negative against people having other types of, of lifestyles when, you know, you're more about promoting one particular uh, type of, of lifestyle and uh, rather mm. than necessarily being negative towards another i think that's interesting because unless we have directly attacked anybody else for their sorts of lifestyle i don't understand why or where you'd get that interpretation from really it's about you having a prejudice and you reflect and you projecting that prejudice onto our group like for me that's just what it is a lot of people were like well but other social conservatives say this are you not going to call them out and i was like well are we the are we the police chiefs of conservatism? We're not going <laughs> to run around reprimanding every single person who says something we don't like that calls themselves a social conservative. Unless we've attacked other people, I think it's fair to assume that the group doesn't subscribe to that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, with the um, sort of divisions that your group obviously hasn't created, but the yeah. arrival of it has brought to sort of more out in the open, I guess. Um, do you think the Conservative Party can be a broad church and have liberals and social conservatives, or do you think it's going to have to sort of pick one and you're hoping it's your side? <laughs> I do think that electorally it will have to pick one side. I think in this election it has. In other elections, not sure what it may be, but in this election, I definitely do think it's taken the more socially conservative approach. And it's obviously one. I think some people might disagree with my interpretation of that, but you did not see Boris Johnson running around screaming about free markets on the campaign trail. You saw him talking about getting Brexit done, controlling immigration and restoring the nurses bursary and investment in infrastructure. That's what we saw. But just with regards to the grassroots of the party, of course, there should be a broad church. And I think that that's what makes the Conservative Party what it is, having you know both liberals and social conservatives in it. Whether or not the liberal side are willing to let that happen is another conversation entirely. Um, now, this isn't the uh, first group you've been uh, involved with. Previously, you were uh, part of Turning Point UK. I wonder yeah. uh, w what sort of differences do you think that there are between that group and this? And, and what was your experience uh, like with them? 
There are some fundamental differences between Turning Point UK and Orthodox Conservatives, and that's why I'm now president of Orthodox Conservatives and not a part of TPUK. The issue is that as I've grown into my political philosophy, because, you know, I am still developing it and I've found my place now, I believe, I found that we were focusing less on the social issues that I cared about, and it was more about kind of broad populist kind of issues and I wanted to focus more on how we can look at certain trends in society with regards to the community with regards to tradition with regards to my skepticism of rampant individualism and TPK just didn't do that for me so and my experience with them was that I'm just going to say that I'm a natural leader. So for me, not to be able to have a real say over the kinds of goings on within the organization and how it kind of presented itself was a real problem for me. So that's essentially my experience and why I sort of left. Um, now, you mentioned you're um, developing uh, political uh, philosophy. And of course, at one point, you weren't uh, a member of the Conservative Party. You were... Um, more supportive of the uh, Labour Party and you made some yeah. you know, sort of like um, comments like, for example, saying that you thought that the government might have been responsible for Grenfell and things like that. Um, I just wonder, uh, how do you think people will interpret those comments? Because, I mean, some people might, you know, accuse you of being politically sort of like a bit of a grifter or something like that how would you respond to <laughs> how would you no i'm just interested how would you uh, no, it's funny that you say that. <laughs> do you know what's funny that you mentioned that is that in that uh screenshot that was it's kind of being used against me so flipping much is the fact that in it i criticize neoliberalism and what am i criticizing today neoliberalism the problem isn't with right wing left wing because i've literally always been a brexiteer Always. And people can see that on my social media. I've never been anti-Brexit. My problem was how the Conservatives were characterised in its present form. And for me, I didn't like neoliberalism, neoliberalism then. And I don't like neoliberalism now. So for those who kind of might see that as me being <laughs> a grifter, I just say that before I actually got vocal in politics I at 16 I didn't know anything about politics and then I started to learn about it organically and as I began to learn I thought I was on the left because of the material that was given to me in college and then when I started to do my own research with regards to the European Union for example I started to realize that hang on a minute I was varying more on the right than I probably should and it was something that I was kind of ashamed of and then I started learning about conservative philosophy and then in the end of it I realized oh I think you're a conservative told my teacher and everything and she said she wasn't even surprised by the way to everyone who wants to call me a grifter and then um and then it just it literally just went from there I've always been vocal about the fact that I didn't used to be in the Conservative Party and I voted Labour in 2017. So they can interpret that how they want to interpret that. I didn't go into politics with the aim of amassing so much attention like so soon. That really wasn't my aim. But yeah. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great uh, having you on. Uh, Thank you. you know, it'd be great to have you on uh, any other time uh, you'd like to come on. 
Sure. It's been lovely uh, speaking to you. It's been great speaking to you. And I'd just like to ask you one final question. Now, um, TikTok has been in the news recently uh, because of a school break challenge that has been, um, you know, warned about on the platform. And I just yeah. wondered um, if you could start any trend, whether it be on TikTok or any other social media uh, app or platform, uh, what would you what would you what sort of trend would you like to start? That is so interesting. Um, hmm, I, I honestly don't know. Like, tr- tr- in terms of like a dance or something. Yeah, no, in terms of a dance or a, or a type of um, meme or something like that. What, what sort of like trend do you think you'd like to start? Well, I'm not gonna lie, I'd probably be poking fun at some liberal Tories. <laughs> <laughs> You've already started that trend, I think. <laughs> I'll probably be doing a few impressions about neoliberalism, free markets. Probably be doing that. Uh, well, I think that that is uh, <laughs> that's certainly a trend. I think some people listening would uh, would uh, be able to get on board with. Um, thanks once again for for being on the podcast. <laughs> thanks to you too. It was great talking to you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to this episode. If you'd like to subscribe to us, you can do on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean and YouTube. If you'd like to send us a question or comment on this episode, you can do at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow us, you can do on Twitter at debatedpodcast and uh, like us on Facebook at debatedpodcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you listen to the next one.